Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 133 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. Hope everybody's doing all right out there. It's Friday the 22nd today. The brand new Railroad Earth album, All for the Song, is available everywhere today, and my guest this episode is John Skeen. Great, great guy, great player, tasteful, he's got chops. Um, I've got some links, too, that we talk about. If you go to mandolinsandbeer.com or if you look in the description here, we talk a bit about uh, Todd Collins, uh, the guy who's got some great mandolin books out, and they have a duo album out. There's a Strings and Soul video with uh, Ronnie McCurry, John, Jake Jolliffe, Sam Bush, and Paul from Green Sky Bluegrass all playing uh, on a curb. It's amazing. Uh, uh, John talks about a clinic that him and Sam did at the Festival Railroad Earth puts on. I've got links to that and Roadhouse Brewing. So we got those links there. So be sure to head on over there and check them out. And also, please check out my sponsors, Peghead Nation, Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You can learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. Their lineup is incredible. I say it every week because it is. Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibish, Chad Manning. Come on now. There's nobody with a lineup like that out there. Everything from beginner to advanced stuff and theory. And the best part is, besides the fact that they have all the high-quality multi-angle video lessons and downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and all the tunes you can pick from, join Peghead Nation today. Get your first month for free. Just go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com or download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. Also, be sure to check them out on Instagram for some fantastic, fantastic mandolin photos. Ear Trumpet Labs, hand-built microphones from Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed they have great feedback rejection for live use and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today. They also have a sweet Instagram I would highly recommend following along. Pavo Mandolins, dedicated to building for the impassioned player in Austin, Texas. Thank you so much to Pavo Mandolins. We got Elderly Instruments. Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted and stringed instruments. For the experienced to beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I say mandolins? Includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All the instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there for help. They're in their 50th year of business. They're family-owned and operated. They ship worldwide, and you can visit them anytime at elderly.com. You can even give them a call at 517-372-7880. And Siminoff Strings. Science! I say it every time I talk about Siminoff Strings because I don't understand how they could come up with such an incredible way to make strings. Uh, it really is mind-blowing. And if you go to uh, straightupstrings.com, you can really read all about it. You can also sign up for their incredible newsletter. But it's amazing, and it's the strings are made to compensate for the bridge and how the bridge is put on the mandolin. And the best part about them, besides the fact they sound great, is if you buy a six-pack of them, you can actually save money as well. So, you know, don't take my word for it. C.J. Lewandowski, Tristan Scroggins, they play them. 
And, uh, you know, CJ's arsenal of mandolins, he wouldn't string them with anything but the best. So check them out at straightupstrings.com. All right, let's get into the episode with John again. I've got links, Railroad Earth. Uh, It's got a great website, and you can go there. They've got great tour dates. They're playing some really cool festivals, including Delfest, which I'll be at. So uh, be sure to check them out again. Links at mandolinsofbeer.com. If you could follow me at Instagram, mandolinsofbeer at Instagram, that'd be great. And I haven't asked for this in a while, but if you could leave a review at iTunes, that stuff really, really helps in all the rankings and all that fantastic stuff as well. All right, everybody, let's get into this episode. Go out and buy this album. It's available today. Cheers, everybody. All right, now it is my pleasure to have on the podcast, one year later than we wanted to do it, John Skian. John, how are you? Fine. Very good today. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks so much for having me. It's a great thing you're doing for the podcast and keeping uh, mandolin players busy and, and spreading the word about mandolins and our music in general. Oh, thank you so much for doing it. And we were initially going to do this in person at Dell Fest last year. And then unfortunately, right. Dell Fest fell through, but you and I have kind of kept in touch. And then uh, Maria Ivy from IVPR was kind enough to uh, give me a heads up that the new album is coming out on the 22nd. That's two days from today when we're talking. Um, it's this Friday when the podcast airs. And the first thing I want to say about this album is it is so amazing and thank you guys for finally this is what i love the best about this album we talked about this a minute ago was you know being a mandolin nerd as i am and i have a lot of music friends that aren't mandolin nerds so when i tell them about some sort of mandolin centric album i'm listening to it kind of goes like over their head or i know they're probably not going to listen to it this album if if people aren't familiar with railroad earth this album is like a mix of just some of the greatest music you've ever heard it's it would sit at home you know if you just listen to the band it would sit at home if you just listen to wilco it sounds like its own thing and i feel like this album is a bit of a journey from beginning to end as well so thank you for putting this album out well thank you and i'm, I'm excited that uh, you know it's finally coming out and it, it definitely was a journey for us uh in in approaching the album and making it it came at at you know a a difficult time in our our history as a band having just uh, lost andy gessling the founding member and you know multi-instrumentalist very much uh, a a musical secret weapon because andy could play everything mandolin especially uh, incredibly well and uh getting into the studio and trying to take an album on uh within the shadow of his loss just a couple months before was a daunting prospect. But uh, as I said, kind of very much a journey to have to, you know, sit in a room for the first time when it's the five of us and not the six. And uh, there are a number of songs on the album that, that Todd did an incredible job crafting that touch on that, that place that we were in at that time. Uh, and it's, it's, it's an emotional thing for sure as it was then showers of rain showers of rain 
You know, speaking of journeys, that was two years ago. I believe we tracked the album in January of 2019, having just lost Andy in October of the previous year, a couple months before. Uh, and then, as you know, with records, things can take longer when you're trying to finish everything and get it right. And especially when you begin orchestrating string quartets and recording them and <laughs> mixing them in. <laughs> right, uh, right. It extends. And then we were kind of all set to go and with a release date i forget exactly what what it was supposed to be but uh we were off and running touring again with with a new lineup that was really gelling in early 2020 and started playing a couple of songs from the new record and we're about to release it and we're feeling great and then we all know what happened in march of 2020 uh <laughs> everything yeah, changed so yeah. here we are a couple of years later man yeah oh wow that's just like a, an incredible journey. I would imagine it had to be kind of cathartic maybe to even get in the studio after losing such a, a close friend and, and um, band member. I mean, there's a couple songs that nearly brought me to tears on this album and after repeated listens. I mean, it's just, it's, it's heavy in all the right ways you want something musical to be. And yeah, again, you know, in, in, uh, the songwriting, the lyrics, a uh, couple of things Todd touches on, you know, some of them to me, they're, they're incredibly personal because I know what he's talking about, the feeling and the vibe, but he is not a narrative songwriter. In other words, anybody could listen to these songs and they can take on several different meanings or understandings and, and may reflect on, you know, what somebody else is going through in a completely different situation. Uh, that's just one of the, great gifts that Todd has as a writer. In other words, he's never telling you anything verbatim or a straight storyline. Uh, you know, some of the older, earliest songs that we ever did, things like Seven Story Mountain or, or Mighty River. that aspect you know where it's it's a poem that can mean something different to you on any given different day um and i i believe and hope that you know the songs on this new record will will carry that as well but there are a couple of them in particular great divide and showers of rain and and all for the song that there are just, you know, 
words, turns of phrase in there that cut me to the core because if you know what we were living through and, and what we've lived through as a band for 20 years, you know exactly what he's talking about. Yet it can mean a hundred different things, I think, to a hundred different people and, and you know, that don't know that story and don't need to know it necessarily. <laughs> so. This whole album paints a beautiful soundtrack behind all the lyrics as well. Like even not knowing who or what the songs were about, like Showers of Rain. I mean, mm. that song whew, ah, cuts you to the core. It's just so beautiful right from the beginning. You know, you can just feel the just this amount of emotion. And like you said, it's it's pretty like open to interpretation in the lyrics. It's not really right out front saying we've lost a friend and this song's about them, you know, it can yeah. apply to anything, which is, which is fantastic. And, and that one still, you know, cuts me very much. Uh, and, and that's another one we, you know, we embarked on the, the string arrangement, uh, journey of Timmy, uh, Tim Carbone, uh, had the idea to write string quartet parts. And I worked with him to kind of transcribe his ideas and notate them and then, you know, do a little orchestration to fill out chords and everything for a full quartet. So you spend a lot of time in that song and listening to it. But uh, that the, the day that, that uh, we lost Andy, we were flying out to uh, Hillbury, one of the festivals that we've been hosting for a number of years now. Uh, and we were all gathered at Newark Airport at about 6 a.m. checking in when we got the word and then had to, you know, take this flight. Uh, but I believe it was the next night we had to do our first show there. And it rained sideways on the stage just about from the second song that we started playing and there was such raw emotion and i just remember a feeling of i'm wet i don't care we just kept playing and the feeling of the rain just smashing you you know uh while playing coupled with this you know the absolute your world is turned upside down your guts have been turned inside out felt amazing i guess yeah <laughs> yeah somehow uh, you know again todd was able able to take that moment of showers of rain you know thoughts of that day just wash it away yeah uh, wow man how long did you guys record this album like the, the i guess maybe the basic tracking part of it anyway we went down to new orleans for about five maybe six days i think it, the initial tracks were you know in a week, we just went in and, and dug in and with the guidance of, of Anders Osborne producing, uh, and you know, he's an incredibly energetic, positive fellow. Uh, so he was a great choice for where we were at and for the music in that point. Uh, again, uh, you speak about a kind of cathartic experience. Anders is the guy who can just rally everybody and say, okay, let's do this, you know, uh, let's right, dig right. in. You know, unlike a lot of other recording experiences that we've had where um, most of the time we've recorded close to home and worked long days when everybody would go home in between. Uh, and, you know, often we've had the luxury of more days, more time, you know, a little open-ended. Uh, you know, uh, Amen Corner was recorded at a beautiful old farmhouse that Todd used to live in from the 1800s where we just worked at our own pace in our own time. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> right, you know. right. 
you our days begin and it's me you're I'm racing the dawn um, Last of the Outlaws, again, a local studio, um, very accommodating to us. We worked, before we were even actually putting what would become the album together, we spent weeks just tossing ideas around, recording everything, playing around. So this was a different experience to say, okay, five days, let's go. Here it is. You know, this is what we've got. Um, and I think appropriate to that time and that situation, you know. Yeah, I mean, man, the record sounds fantastic. It is definitely a headphone album. I mean, people need to uh, put some put some headphones on, earbuds in, whatever it is, because the mix is really, really great. And there's like there's so many little things going on and that add to the songs that I was, you know, it's like each listen was kind of unpacking something new, <laughs> which is which is always fun. But good. I'm glad it, it speaks that way. And, you know, there are a number of songs on there that were also a bit of a departure from things that we would normally do in the past. Mm-hmm. And some of that came from, um, you know, the idea of being in New Orleans, being down there and a and, uh, couple of collaborations that, uh, that Todd did with Anders and also with uh, with Andrew Altman, uh, a new, new song from Andrew on there, Come and Go Moon, which definitely has a, a more... Oh, I don't know, uh, almost bluesy roots band vibe than than other things that we've done in the past. Uh, so some, you know, some different directions um, than than previous records for sure. records are also good too i mean i boy, trying to think when i mean you guys how many years have you guys been together is it 20 years we are just at 20 yeah and, and kind of alongside the the release of all for the song the new record uh we did a remastered reissue of black bear uh the black bear sessions the first record we ever made um to to release on vinyl oh, so cool. that's kind of marking the 20th anniversary and I forget how you reckon it anymore date-wise, but yes, it's uh, round about the 20th or the 20 and a half year, 21 year. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Let's say 20 years for the sake of argument. Sure. Man, the other thing, if anybody who's listening to this, again, if they're not familiar with Railroad Earth, and, and if they play in a band with a drummer, I love your playing um, the way you are able to, you know, again, like some bands, when you listen to recordings and they they play with a drummer, it's, it's, it's like two snares <laughs> kind of uh-huh. going on. That is not the case with you, man. You play just, you play, I mean, it's kind of great. It kind of goes along with the uh, title of this album, All for the Song. I mean, you really do add some sweet, I mean, just the licks you have in there. It's worth sitting down for people just learning some of those licks to, to play, but the way you play along with a drummer is really, really amazing. Oh, well, thank you. And that, that's been one of the, you know, from a mandolin player's perspective, to me, one of the fascinating kind of journeys with Railroad Earth and learning how to play mandolin in this ensemble. And, you know, we're blessed to have an incredibly sensitive and solid drummer in Carrie Harmon. Um, 
who also sings all the high harmonies pretty much <laughs> for everything. Um, so, you know, a, a unique musician all around, but, but an incredibly sensitive player who kind of had this whole, you know, bluegrass side of things that we do, although obviously that's not the main focus of the music. Uh, we're not a bluegrass band, but, you know, he also had to come and adapt to, okay, how do you play drums in a music that traditionally doesn't have drums? You know? <laughs> right, um, right. And, and to me, you know, the wonderful thing is, yeah, it frees you up to not have to be the snare drum all the time. I, I kind of always looked at it because, you know, as, as I think we all are, you know, you're fascinated with a big, deep, woody sounding chop like that, you know, Sam and Ronnie get where it's it's this wonderful percussive yet yet almost woof of sound that is the mandolin backbeat. So I kind of looked at it as, OK, when I am doing that, uh, I'm voicing things, sometimes even just chopping on the bottom two strings, the G and the D string voicing chords that move along that, because I'm thinking of it as giving pitch and motion of the chord to the percussive hit of the snare drum um and you know the snare drum giving extra beef and backing to the chord that i'm chopping but you can jump away from that chop whenever you want to and do a a melodic chord voicing movement uh just let a chord ring and sustain or do a fill or a riff or of course i I love, you know, a, a cross-picking kind of approach to uh, an accompaniment in a song, you know, a background part. So you have all those things free, and you've got a solid drummer who is going to hold it together no matter what you do in and around that pocket, you know. And you never get in the way. <laughs> That's a, Like, I love the cross-picking element of your playing, because um, it's something that, like, you know, again, like, uh, it, it's it, Jesse McReynolds is like one style of the cross picking, but the way that you, um, the way that you take your version of it and, and add it to the music is really just a, like beautiful compliments to the tunes. Oh, thanks. I, you know, having had a, a piano background somewhat as I've done a lot of different things throughout my life, I, I always kind of, again, going back to, I, I think I was lucky to kind of be able to learn and try to develop an understanding of the mandolin in terms of how do I use this instrument with this ensemble, you know, with this collection of players and instruments, but uh, kind of always look at the mandolin parts that I want to come up with as the piano player's right hand, you know, meaning you've got, you know, rhythm section, bass, drums behind you, and then you know, uh, well, for most of our lifetime, Andy Gessling and, and his wonderful way of, of accompanying, uh, you know, playing rhythm guitar or banjo. And, and of course, Timmy's fiddle on top and Todd's very unique uh, acoustic, but overdriven, uh, you know, kind of trippy guitar sound. So right. I felt like the place is that that's the piano player's left hand, all that stuff there. So my role will be the piano player's right hand in terms of chord voicings, melodic movements, things that will just fill and fit in between the vocal and the rest of the ensemble. And you've got a classical background. Um, how do, I, I mean, I, it seems that way anyway. Let's talk a little bit about your like how you got into the mandolin, because like in researching you, I know when we first talked about whenever it was a while back, you had sent me some beautiful recordings you did during the lockdown with a harpsichord in mandolin. And it was amazing. And then in doing some more research, there's the one of you doing the four-handed Mozart 
Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's out there. And I mean, you know, it's and you're not doing that from memory. There's there's that sheet music is in front of you. I mean, you could be doing it from memory, but obviously you can read music. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. So how did you find yourself in the mandolin? Well, I you know I've always kind of dabbled and and done a little bit of you know wherever my attention takes me. And I I did you know I started music relatively late in life uh at least any kind of serious training and and trying to learn to read and and dive into the formal aspects of it uh not until midway through high school or thereabouts you know so i didn't really play as a young kid growing up or anything uh, and uh over time like i said just sort of followed you know wherever my attention led me, but also very much wanted to get the training uh, to understand the formal aspects of music and, and uh, sort of dove in with both feet. But it was even later still after, you know, playing lots of different things in high school, including just starting to read music and learning piano, but playing tuba for a number of years. And of course, earlier than that, playing guitar, we, we had, you know, the punk rock band that would gather in the basement of a, a parent's home after school and <laughs> nice. make all kinds of noise. What was the uh, name of, do you, have, do you remember the name of the punk rock band? The Gert Merchants. <laughs> awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's um, great. And also, you know, at that age, again, we're talking eighth grade, ninth grade, everybody plays guitar. So I was the guy who was like, well, we need a bass player. I, I'll do that, I guess. Fine. You know, <laughs> but we're still playing guitar. <laughs> You know, you, you wander through this journey, like I said, from the punk rock to Hendrix, Zeppelin to Jethro Tull, and then, oh, okay, I there's a complexity to music I want to understand. I better learn to read. I better, uh, you know, study piano and all this. But it was even later still, sorry for the long-winded answer. Oh, no, this here, is great, but, man. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, I first, you know, got a mandolin in my hands, not till I was in my early 20s, I guess, and... uh I, I was living in Europe doing the knock around, you know, backpacker thing and traveling with a buddy at times who played guitar and we would busk in the street and put a hat out and make enough money for drinks and beers at night, whatever. <laughs> uh, but he had picked up a mandolin somewhere cheap and as often guitar players are at first was sort of baffled by the difference in fifths and everything. Uh, but somewhere along the way, I had taken an interest in Irish traditional music. I had bought a book uh, of of fiddle tunes, uh, notation, and was trying to learn them on guitar, and they just don't really fit under the fingers, at least with my limited understanding of, of traditional music at that time. But when this buddy got frustrated enough with the little A-model mandolin that he bought, <laughs> put it in my hands and said, I don't know, you deal with this thing. I sat down and started reading through that book of Irish dance tunes, jigs and reels, and had, you know, that big aha moment of, oh, this totally works. These fiddle tunes and all the drone strings that you want are right there. And I kind of got hooked at that point, you know. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, the the, uh, the harpsichord thing that you mentioned, that's another <laughs> journey altogether, which... Certainly came in handy in the pandemic to keep one's sanity. <laughs> yeah, that's that was amazing. Well, I, I, I tracked a number of things and, and part of the you know, the mission there was many years ago I uh you know, was poking around on Craigslist and typing harpsichord into the search bar, you know, like people do, right? Um 
And I found one, and of course, it needed a lot of work. At the time that instrument was made in the 60s, they used a leather material for the quills, which is what plucks the strings, and that leather dry rots. So over a period of time, I I did one round of rebuilding it where I replaced all of the jacks and the quills. And and for those that that aren't familiar, uh, unlike a piano where a, a hammer strikes the string, uh, a harpsichord is plucked with a mechanic mechanism activated by the key, which raises a jack from underneath the string and mounted in the jack is a little tiny sliver of plastic that's called the quill that they used to make out of bird quill. Uh, and that is hinged. So when it drops back past the string very quickly, it is in position to pluck again. Um, so in a way, you kind of have a keyboard-operated banjo or mandolin. <laughs> <laughs> but to replace all those little tiny quills takes hours of shaving the underside of it with an X-Acto knife to get it perfectly shaped so it will pluck the string from underneath and then drop back quickly, silently, and smoothly so it's in position to play again, especially in Baroque music, which can involve a lot of rapid trills and ornaments and things. Uh, so the beginning of the shutdown led me back to working on that again and spending hours till I felt like it was, you know, a functional instrument, just learning as I could how to rebuild a harpsichord or at least the playing mechanism. And that led me to, well, I better start recording it now that I've put all this time into it. <laughs> nice. Uh, so I, I tracked a couple movements of uh, Johann Sebastian Bach's Sonata in B minor for uh, violin and clavier. did the andante the slow movement and then the the allegro the uh final movement of it um and yeah i got into the learning curve of making videos and trying to understand how to edit them in iMovie and sync it with the audio and everything uh but you know that was the gung-ho early period of the pandemic where you're just trying to do things and <laughs> right. put some music out there and keep active yeah no <laughs> kidding is that when you did the vivaldi as well I, you know, that was one of the last things I did because the harpsichord, you know, unlike a piano, it will go out of tune just as easily as your mandolin or your guitar will, depending on the temperature in the rooms to you. You have to sit there and tune it every day, you know, or before, especially if you're going to try to record it, you have to go and touch it up. Uh, Much easier to tune than a piano, um, but still uh, harpsichord again has... Uh, at least the one that I have, has two sets of strings, one at concert pitch and another set an octave higher that you can engage or disengage with a knee lever. So for every key, every note, you are tuning two pairs of strings in an octave. And for those of us that play bazooki or octave mandolins, and obviously mandolins too, we spend a lot of time tuning, and you know what that's like to get octaves to agree with each other (laughs) and hold. So, yeah, I think the Vivaldi was the last thing I did in that phase where you really have to baby and work harpsichord if you're going to try to record it. And I I got the idea, well, I'm on a roll here. Um, Maybe I can do all of the, you know, 
the violin, viola, and cello parts uh, for this Vivaldi mandolin concerto using mandolins and bazookis. So I think uh, my my Phil Crump bazooki took over the viola and cello duties, and uh, the harpsichord part was recorded independently, of course. And then, you know, first and second violins done with mandolin parts, uh, and then, of course, the mandolin solo on top. So that was a very fun project. Ages. Was it bluegrass then that kind of got you uh, really hooked into the mandolin or was it classical? What what really started you driving to be like, yeah, this this little A model thing I'm plunking Irish tunes on, you know, backpacking through Europe has uh, has some staying power in my life. Yeah, and I, I kind of got away from it for a little bit after that trip uh, and came back home and, and was trying to resume my piano studies. Uh, I found myself in that time playing um, gig-wise, anyhow, more with uh, a couple of different singer-songwriters <clears throat> and, you know, just, just playing bars, um, restaurants around the local scene here. And normally I would just carry a guitar, you know, and kind of be the lead guy accompaniment player to, uh, to the songwriter. And as I became a little more comfortable with the mandolin, I started, you know, mixing that in a bit. And yeah, I, I, I found myself just doing more of that kind of work than, than piano. There was a point where I was doing a little bit of still playing loud electric guitar and rock bands, but then, uh, yeah, doing, you know, then there were at that time some wonderful singer songwriters to work with, uh, people like Denny Tilton, Bobby Sybarth, uh, in the area that, that many people in Railroad Earth have played with and recorded with, from, you know, Andy to Timmy to Carrie Harmon, myself. We were all in this kind of intermingled uh, original music scene that was happening around North Jersey and, uh, you know, had a good, good community. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, it was then somewhere in there, somebody gave me a cassette copy of the first Grisman Quintet album. That's the Gateway album right there. <laughs> yeah, That's the, the Gateway one. album. It blew my mind uh, somewhat simultaneously and maybe a little bit earlier, having been interested in The Grateful Dead for a while. Somebody put Olden in the Way in my hands, which I became obsessed with to the point where a girlfriend said, no, not again. We're not listening to that record anymore <laughs> today. Um, but, you know, I think that's an introduction for many people. And, and just learning the history of, of, okay, Garcia was fascinated with bluegrass and was running around to bluegrass festivals, learning to play banjo, taping other banjo players, you know, gives you a new appreciation for his playing, uh, and, and, you know, just what he did in The Grateful Dead and their whole 
odd and unusual vibe that they brought to American music. You know, you to me, that was another big aha moment of understanding the bluegrass roots behind this very strange band that was not a rock band. The music sounds country-ish, but it's not country. What is that? Oh, it's those echoes, those ancient tones and bluegrass aspect of the songwriting, um, the vibe of it that, that really connected for me. Um, and that leads then to exploring more bluegrass, you know, <laughs> getting hooked on that, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, definitely a journey through Grisman, Olden in the Way, Garcia, you know, just endless discoveries. Uh, and one thing leads to the next. Yeah, what's so great, too, is that that original Grisman album, it's been the gateway for, like, everybody. I mean, the young people playing right now are influenced by that that album is legitimately a timeless sounding recording <laughs> it's amazing well and you know i have a funny imprint memory probably go back to the 80s long before i ever thought about mandolins or knew what they were or had an idea and this is uh, something for our younger listeners here that they might not relate to but there used to be a thing called record stores <laughs> in malls <laughs> right and you would go in and buy albums there uh and they would be playing records in the store and i remember checking out i forget what i was buying but i was hearing this music that sounded kind of like jazz but kind of like something else. I don't think I could process exactly the instrumentation that I was hearing. Um, and this was also an 80s sometime around the beginnings of the new age acoustic music thing before it became massage parlor music, you know, like the, the new age, the, the early stuff that was just focused on acoustic instrumental music, you know? Um, so I was wondering, is it something like that? What is this I'm hearing? But again, memory imprint. I remember going to the counter to check out and they had the vinyl album cover on display saying, this is what you're hearing. And I saw that cover of the Grisman quintet, 1975 record and looked at it and thought, I, I don't quite get what that pile of instruments is there, but this is really cool and interesting. And I don't know that I ever thought about it again. That just memory, that memory stayed with me until a decade later and somebody said, oh, you have a mandolin? Check this out. And gave me a, you know, a copied, marked cassette copy. Of that. <laughs> I went, this is that record I heard ages ago in that record store. If I had bought it then or followed that impulse, who knows what would have happened, you know? Yeah, no kidding. And so then did you start... I mean, Railroad Earth's been around about 20 years. What Were you doing like other kind of bluegrassy projects and different things then before you guys all met up and got together? You know, a little bit of everything here and there. Um, uh, one of the big kind of uh, life-changing moments for me was, you know, again, going back to this period where I thought I really ought to get back to my piano studies. That's what I was doing, you know, through college. Uh got away from it from from you know traveling around and playing um and then playing in rock bands and things and uh, you know serendipitous kind of connection moment i i ran into a fellow uh who played banjo and it just sort of popped into my head like well i need to be studying again i need to be working on something uh and said do you know anybody that teaches mandolin but you know that does a little bit of everything and he directed me to 
uh, a gentleman named Todd Collins, who I began studying with oh, for a couple of years. Yeah, he's got a couple books, though, right? He has some wonderful, wonderful books. Um, uh, some great fretboard theory for the improvising mandolin player. An awesome book of transcriptions of Monroe tunes. Yeah. Uh, a very well put together beginner's mandolin book that that um, to me approaches things in a way that that really engages the student. You know, um, uh, and Todd and I eventually, you know. I, I studied with him for quite a while, and then we maintained a friendship over the years and would, would play gigs together occasionally. But we did an album of uh, 18th century duets by an Italian composer named Emmanuel Barbella, somewhat obscure. Uh, but that was kind of a project um, that we took on at one point just to make some mandolin music. Is that out there for the public? Is that out there for the public to, uh, to find? It is on, yeah, it's on CD, baby. Um, you'd probably find it through Todd's website, also toddcollinsmusic.com. But yeah, we put it out. It's uh, Mandolin Duets of Emmanuel Barbella. Just we put, it was a self-released thing. Oh, probably around two thousand eight or nine, I think. Cool. But Todd came from uh, a, uh, a background of formal training. He got his master's degree in jazz guitar from Rutgers, but he was also always a bluegrass nut and mandolin player. Uh, so for me, again, just learning the instrument, but having had you know, some formal training on piano and other things. He really put me through the paces and, and impressed upon me the necessity of knowing your fretboard, you know, knowing, I mean, I knew theory and scales and jazz chord voicings and everything, but he said, no, you need to translate it to this instrument. So, you know, it was very much through the paces. We're covering the neck today in all positions in the key of A flat, and we're going to do all diatonic seventh chords up and down the neck. And, very much holding you to, you know, relearning and applying that training to a new instrument. Uh, and then applying it to everything from, like I said, he, you know, guy with a jazz background that also loves Bill Monroe and bluegrass uh, and, and Thelonious Monk and Charlie Parker. <laughs> so you're doing all of that on mandolin and, you know, to have a, a teacher, I guess, is one of the most important things, I think, for anybody out there wanting to learn. There are so many resources now available to people online and everything, but to sit in person with somebody once a week, knowing that you have had an assignment that you were meant to prepare and practice is so important. Even, you know, you know even online lessons, if you if you maintain that weekly thing, it's, uh, I mean, you can access you could take lessons with almost anybody <laughs> anymore, yeah. you know? Yeah. And if you, I, I, um, I took him for a while with uh, Jake Jolliffe and it was, you want to work hard because, you know, I mean, he's a super cool guy, but you want to show that you made some progress, 
you yep. know, and when somebody gives you something to work on and that's your focus and you have, I want to say a deadline, but if you impose it like a deadline, you work hard at it and, and you retain it. And it, that was some of the, man, that ch- it literally changed the way I play. And I'd been playing for years at that point and, uh, and so much for the better. And Jake is an incredible player and such a warm guy. And, and I, I, have, <laughs> I have here on my little list of to-do lists all over the place, lesson with Jolliffe. And I've been meaning oh, to sweet. reach out to him and do it. But, you know, again, pandemic shut down would have been a great time to do it, but also easy to get distracted. But, you know, I have looked to, we, we did, uh, Oh, a couple tours back in the day when, when Jake first joined yonder mountain and I would hear him, you know, before sound check, when those guys arrived, go off into a room, turn on the metronome and start just playing over changes to there'll never be another you in all 12 keys just running it and running it and it was incredible and that's why he is such an amazing scary player because he puts the work in Uh, he's incredibly driven uh yeah there's a great video of you guys um it's you and sam and ronnie and jake and um paul from green sky on that strings and soul and you guys are out just sitting with five mandolins outside of like I, I i don't know what it looks like a you know like a store or something and somebody filmed you guys running through a bill cheatham and it is oh, amazing is that out there? it oh, is wow. i'll link it yeah. i'll send you a link to it it's great man no they they do a thing in fact we we did one that just this past year called the mandolin swim um and usually you you go out into a, a little gazebo that's in the middle of the main pool and I think that year that uh, that you're referring to, we were just waiting <clears throat> for them to set the little PA up something so we could go out and basically do that same picking thing, but <laughs> in the middle of this pool where everybody's floating around and, and you know getting drinks from the bar. Uh, but yeah, we were just killing time. So <laughs> yeah, that was captured. There's a whole another hour long performance of that. Just uh, you know, but yeah, what what a thrill. Um, to be able to pick with all those guys and then to do the mandolin ensemble thing. It's, it's just incredible. Yeah. And it's really cool too, to see um, five different varying styles of great mandolin players. You know, it's pretty, it's really cool to see how everybody approaches the song and then the break after, you know, you, they went through the melody one time. It's probably, yeah, I'll, I'll link that. It's a, it's a good watch. I watch it a couple times a year at least. <laughs> oh, cool. Cool. No, I was lucky enough to do a, a mandolin workshop at Hillberry this past October. Again, it's one of the you know couple of festivals that we've been hosting for a number of years, yeah. and uh, what a thrilling experience and frightening experience that is to sit down and go, okay, it's just me and Sam, uh, <laughs> and we're going to pick together. Uh, you know, I've done it a couple times before, and you know, I, I can't say enough about. You know, just all these cats that you mentioned, but the to you know our heroes, obviously, you know, Ronnie McCory, Sam Bush. What wonderful gentlemen they've always been! And for me, coming new into this scene, you know, and then relatively late in life to mandolin and railroad earth, obviously not exactly fitting in with the straight up traditional thing. You know, they've just been always so kind and always willing to talk and pick and just gracious gentlemen. And what a great thing it is to meet your heroes and feel that way about them you know yeah i mean this podcast wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for 
people like them and people like you. This this is a very gracious community of musicians that play the mandolin. And, you know, we're episode, I think, 133 or 134. And it, it none of this would be possible without, you know, the gracious you know, the graciousness of people giving their time to do this. So uh, it's amazing to me. Oh, there was a, a wonderful moment in that workshop with Sam. And, and you know, again, it was so much fun to sit and pick with him. And it, uh, somebody, a, a fan of Railroad Earth, I guess, uh, uh, taped it uh, or filmed it and sent me the link at one point. Um, and, yeah, it's one of those things when you're in the moment and playing, you're just trying to hold on, <laughs> you know, hang and, and try to do something cool. But listening back, you know, there's such a way that Sam plays, as we all know, that, you know, it's like, wow, if I could just go and, and take eight bars of what he just played and learn that and digest it, you know, that they're just such incredible uh, phrasing and melodic approaches that are signature Sam, you know, and there you're hearing it uh, <laughs> right in that environment. But uh, there was a, a funny moment in that because you're in a you know festival scene and in one of the side tents and everything, uh, all kinds of stuff going on. But somebody asked a question about, you know, how is everybody handling life uh, through the pandemic? This is the first time any of us are back at a festival, you know, after all that time. And Sam said at one point, I think the world has finally gotten weird enough for Hunter S. Thompson. And on the beat, there were two loud percussive fireworks explosions somewhere outside the tent (laughs) and everybody kind of gasped and then cracked up it was such a weird (laughs) universe moment you mentioned you mentioned hunter thompson and then things blow up (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's his ashes going and shot into space (laughs) yeah yeah you know it's in the video that this friend sent me like wow what a what a precious moment i remember it but man if you yeah if you could send that link along i'd love to check that out man that'd be amazing I will. I will. Yeah, that'd be great. Let's talk a little bit about. Um, oh, actually, you no. Know, before we talk about gear, I'd like to talk a little bit. One other um, in, in my in my research, another really cool video of you is um, it's from like ten years ago, I think. But it was you showing you warming up with classical stuff before you like started, um, you know, a, a, a show or something like that. And I was wondering if you could maybe give some advice or some things that people could look for classical music if they're not really familiar with it that, you know, maybe anybody could pick up. Because those are, I mean, a lot of those like box songs, if you find ones that aren't too crazy difficult, are really great ways of repetitive fingering and and um, getting your right hand and your left hand really well synced up. So I was wondering if maybe you could give some advice to, to aspiring classical players or people who might want to get into it. Yeah, and, you know, uh, the pieces I was probably playing in that as a warm-up um, would have been a couple different excerpts that I've, I've been, you know, wrestling with <laughs> for many <laughs> years now. Uh, you know, a couple of excerpts from the uh, Johann Sebastian Bach sonatas and partitas for unaccompanied violin. I have a couple of movements memorized that I keep, you know, under my belt with varying levels of certainty, <laughs> but they're great warm-ups and incredible pieces uh, you know that is difficult music to start with um, in terms of you know it depends on what your level of reading is and facility on the instrument but the thing i'll say to kind of go into a you know learning and practice headspace for a moment um the wonderful thing about 
the Bach sonatas. Uh, I'll, I'll focus on the, the Presto uh, from the G minor sonata. It's essentially a collection of running arpeggios and scale passages that outline chord changes incredibly. that said Bach is what we all wish we sounded like when we improvise. <laughs> uh, but for someone wanting to learn and dive into that music, it can be very daunting, but you know what? It doesn't have to be. And I kind of try to make uh, sight reading a part of my daily you know, practice world. Just open a book to anything and go, I'm going to read this at whatever slow pace I need to, to get it right and not stop and practice or fix just to develop that reading. And the wonderful thing about Bach, and again, anybody wants to look up the, the presto from the G minor sonata, it's all single notes. It's not, you know, all the double stops that you find in, in the fugues and some of the other movements in the sonatas, uh, you can sit down and it, it's running 16th notes in a time signature of 3-8. It's meant to be fast, fine. But you can set your metronome to the 16th note at a slow pace, like boom, 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 and play each note slowly there through it, and it's still going to sound wonderful because it's Bach and it's outlines of, of a harmonic progression that just works you know and to sit and spend that time warming up or developing your sight reading uh you're still playing the piece it doesn't have to be blazing fast it doesn't have to be moderately fast you know you can sit and dive in and read and while you're reading depending on you know where your brain is at theory wise you're saying oh I am now doing a pattern through a descending g minor arpeggio two octaves down and now I'm climbing up a, you know, G harmonic minor scale outlining a D dominant seventh chord. And now I'm descending through another pattern of chords. So, you know, for anybody wanting to start and dive into that music, to me, the thing is take it at a pace that you can play it carefully, accurately, and just wait for the time to come when it will speed up for you, you know. Um, and again, box sounds great on any instrument at any tempo it's cool you know yeah. <laughs> you will find that when you get into it well and the cool thing is too is you can you can find like that on you could find a basic video of that on youtube and youtube's got a slowdown built into it and just put it 25 percent even and yeah. you know play it back at that and play along with that to so you can hear it and read it at the same time if you don't you know to to, to really slow it down that's the easiest way i think to, to slow some of that stuff down Absolutely. And, and, you know, again, I, you know, I kind of emphasize, and I, I do this at the piano as well, but, you know, people get afraid of sight reading or find it frustrating or difficult, but 
if you can tell yourself there is a tempo and a place where I could play this probably perfectly from beginning to end if I just work at my pace and approach it slowly. And you'll get so much more out of it and begin to learn it and be able to pick up the tempo more quickly if you breathe and let yourself do it that way, you know. Um, and as you said before, in terms of connecting your right and your left hand and de developing, you know, speed and facility, uh, they're wonderful pieces for that because yes, it, it's, it's arpeggios, it's scales, it's showing you how you could or would maybe solo over a common chord progression. Once you boil it down to the changes that Johan Sebastian is thinking about and outlining there. Yeah, that's great advice, man. So when you uh, what what what's your mandolin situation like? What's your what's your number one? Uh, made by Michael Hyden, and I love it. I'm really lucky to have it. Uh, he couldn't have been cooler and nicer in helping me to obtain it. You know, I was on that quest <laughs> to find <laughs> right. the instrument. Um, so yeah, I've I've been loving it. Uh, that's been my main you know on stage instrument for many years. Um, it, it's a Haydn uh, artist F model. I believe it was made in about 2004. I got it around 2008, I think. So I've had it for quite a while now. Um, and it, it's just a great, versatile mandolin. I mean, I, I feel like it works well in bluegrass, but it has a lot of sustain, a lot of brightness. So you can, you know, the classical stuff or, or the the approach that i try to use with railroad earth anyhow as far as you know not just playing uh you know a traditional style or anything it, it really speaks and sparkles for that that approach that's cool how do you uh, amplify your mandolin when you play live uh i lately i've been using the same um just a basic fishman pickup and michael hyden has a pretty specific profile and angle to his bridge his background is as a violin maker so he tries to make his bridges almost you know as thin as a violin bridge and with a, a little bit of a i guess an angle back towards the tailpiece and um he built a pickup into the actual bridge that went with this instrument and then I, I had a couple issues with it and then had to double back so he was good enough to you know take the i don't know what the model is whatever the, our our standard m100 whatever it might be uh and and shave it as much as he could to his specifications um but uh yeah he's you know and he is based in british columbia so it's a daunting prospect uh, to pack up your instrument and send it to Canada and wait. <laughs> right. I've always had him work on it. Uh, so I've been, yeah, just the basic, you know, I, I fought the good fight for many years of trying to combine a bridge pickup with an internal microphone. And then one of the Shirtler contact transducers um, spent a lot of time and money. And I used to use uh, their, their wonderful preamps, but the pendulum stereo preamp uh, where you can blend those two things um and got good results but of course you know railroad earth is an amplified band it, it's a rock band made up of mainly acoustic instruments uh things getting a little more electric over time as we go on but uh 
eventually I found, you know, again, trying to fight that good fight that I'm, I will have a microphone or something touching the top of the instrument, you know, to blend uh, (laughs) and work with. I, you know, then kind of boiled it down back down to basics. uh, And I'm using a, a wonderful preamp now made by grace designs that a lot of the acoustic players are using. Um, just because I, you know, I used to carry a four space shock mounted rack with a pendulum preamp and power supply and tuner that was very heavy. Uh, and also a 12 space rack on wheels with a power amp in it. And early on, before we started using in-ear monitors for, for a number of years, way, way back, I had two turbo sound monitor wedges powered by my own power amp that was just my mandolin rig. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And, you know, running things in stereo with delay. So, again, before we started using in-ears, we were still using stage monitors, so I had a monitor mix of the band in front of me and then two stereo, you know, monitor wedges to either side of that of 1200 watts of mandolin fury blowing back in my face (laughs) (laughs) that's that is awesome man (laughs) oh it was ridiculous and fun but when your mandolin rig is weighs as much as your couch you you need to start to think about it yeah for sure do you still plug into different effects then you mentioned delays do you use some do you use some effects pedals yeah yeah i i've been using now with the the kind of stealthier rig you know with the as Grace developed this awesome preamp that they have, the Felix, you know, it's a very small unit, so everything can go on a pedal board. No more, you know, having uh, your expensive preamps and everything in a rack that's getting tossed around by the baggage handlers, you know, and, and broken and all that. But I've been using a timeline delay, a uh, multi-tap delay, um, just with a couple of different, you know, reflective uh, settings that I use for for different tunes, depending on the time signature and, and tempo. Man, delay is such a cool uh, little thing. I mean, uh, you know, obviously a lot of bluegrass bands don't use it, but I have a delay pedal on my. It's the only thing I have besides my preamp and a tuner. And you know, just for certain singer songwriter songs, or just to add some space and some cool ambiance, there's nothing cooler than just like a nice delay. <laughs> yeah, and I. I fear maybe I overuse it at times, depending, you know, it, it, you really have to have your, uh, your own sound dialed in to be able to control it the way I like to use it. Um, I think going back to what we talked about earlier on, you know, trying to understand how to play the mandolin in a band like Railroad Earth and develop something that fit with the songs so back to the all for the song, you know, what, what serves this, uh, this lyric and, and musical content, I found the delay uh, just to give me a little extra dimension and something to play with. Uh, to me, mandolins have always sounded like ripples on a pond. There's a very fluid, watery thing there uh, in, in the way I conceive of it. Um, so the delay kind of gives you that extra little bit of sparkle, you know, uh, whether it's, it's just in chord comping, um, again, getting to step away from, from the drummer and just play colors and flavors and different chord voicings up and down the neck. Uh, you get this extra little dimension, uh, almost like a, a piano player arpeggiating something or, or, or rolling a chord, you know? Besides your mandolin, um, do you have any other, or besides your main mandolin, do you have any others? I know you have a bazooki. 
Yeah, I have a, a really cool bazooki uh, that was made by Phil Crump out in Arcata, California. It's his OM2 model, which is the octave mandolin. But I wanted, you know, something in a in a you know moderate scale length. Uh, his his big one, the B3, is a massive massive instrument. But uh, he he was good enough to outfit this one as he made it for me, uh, so I could have the octave strings on the bottom. Um, so it's it's the you know. OM2 octave mandolin model, but slightly converted for, for bazooki and octave strings. Um, and that was a really fun uh, process in terms of getting to pick out the wood. And he, he does incredible inlay work, um, you know, so I, it kind of comes off with a, a Celtic knot vibe through all the inlays and the fretboard and everything. Um, and it's, it's just gorgeous uh, koa wood for the back and sides. Uh, yeah, really fun instrument. He's he's a great, great builder. Got to visit him out in Arcata years ago and, and see his shop and everything. Um, and the, the other mandolin that I have uh, is kind of <laughs> an interesting journey story that would, you know, only be interesting to mandolin players, I guess. <laughs> right. it, it's kind of a Frankenstein. It was made by a fella named John Hutto which I don't know oh, if you ever heard of I it. literally just had somebody, um, a friend of mine, mention one. Uh, I played a gig with him. And he's, he played in a band with a guy who had one. Yeah, yeah. He was an old-timer down in, I think he was in Piney Flats, Tennessee, maybe. But uh, th- there's a, a fellow who's primarily a bass player that you know we all kind of knew that, you know, a, a, a little kind of uh, – Oh, old timey more than bluegrass band out in Pennsylvania called the Lost Ramblers that over the years, you know, Andy Gessling, myself, Timmy, we've all played with them, rotated in and out. They just do a lot of the fun acoustic gigs that are around from the craft shows to the, the pig roast to, you know, you name it, all kinds of just fun, just going out and playing unplugged. Uh, but bass player in that group had this mandolin made by John Hutto that was a hoss. And I'm not kidding you. It was an incredible sounding bluegrass mandolin. And he got it at a time when Hutto was actually putting the Gibson on the headstock <laughs> until Gibson said, no, <laughs> no, you can't do that. Dude. <laughs> but anyway, I, because of that, myself, Todd Collins, the fellow I was talking about earlier, that was, you know, my mentor and teacher uh, for many years, he ordered one from Mr. Hutto, who was pretty old at this point in his 80s, uh, and waited and got it. And it was good. I, at the same time, said, all right, I'm, I'm getting one of these. I'm going to put it in an order. And Mr. Hutto, God rest his soul, was, again, getting up in years. But he already had a bit of a reputation for taking ages to finish mandolins. And I think everybody listening, right, and you probably know that pain of waiting for an instrument and, oh, yeah. and thinking this is going to be the Holy grail. When can I have it and when it gets <laughs> delayed and delayed? Um, but he, he sent it to me out. Uh, what, what he used to call in the white unfinished and unbound, but ready to play. So you could send it back and have him make adjustments. I waited for two years, two excruciating years at that point till I got it. And I said, you know what? I'm going to have somebody else finish this, which I did. <laughs> a local violin maker did the binding and, and a nice natural blonde finish. Um, but long story short, a number of years later, I was still not happy, happy with it. 
And eventually I talked Michael Hyden into taking it into his shop and recarving the F holes, uh, put a new fretboard on it to get a little more bridge height. Um, and I don't think he took the top off and changed it. It was more about opening up the F holes um, and getting a little more tension in a bridge, but it came back just as a wonderful mandolin. Um, it's been a great, a great backup to have, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, very much a Frankenstein, a journey from, from Mr. Hoodle way back. And if you can find these when they pop up, I mean, they are great mandolins, um, but <laughs> they're rare. I don't think he made that many of them, you know? Yeah. Um, um, the guy, the guy that I was playing with was surprised I had heard of them, you know, because yeah. they are pretty rare. Like, well, I, I'm a nerd. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Again, that's, that's, that's major mandolin nerdism right there. But to have a hood that was then hot-rodded by Michael Hyden, that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, man, so we already kind of – I normally ask what would you work on if you had 10 minutes a day to get better. But we kind of – I think we kind of covered that with the classical thing and really slowing it down. I think that's a great tip, and especially that G minor, um, the G minor one you were talking about, and so the presto. Um, so that really leaves me with one with one last question, and that is, do you have a favorite beer? I do. Well, I have well one absolute favorite, which is Guinness Extra Stout. Um, you know that not the draft stuff with the the old proper wee bottle with the orange label, the Extra Stout. That's the stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just delicious you know and and uh, never fails i mean a, a guinness on tap in a proper pub that's its own thing too love that but uh the bottled extra stem is my thing I, i'm also quite fond of uh pollen and hefeweizen um yeah i i just i love a good unfiltered wheat beer and uh the you know the couple of german brands pollen or franciscaner those are those are the go-tos for me that's awesome well and um, you also have roadhouse brewery in Wyoming, Jackson, Wyoming, is going to be doing a Railroad Earth beer coming up here, too. Yeah, yeah, we're excited about that. And I think it will be out, you know, soon by this summer, or it's meant to coincide with the record release. But we had a really fun little Zoom meeting with, with a couple of the, uh, well, the, the Brewmeister and a couple of other folks from the company, where they actually sent us each uh, a couple little packages of different hop varieties. And we all got to sit there and, you know, you kind of crumble them in your hand and, and, you know, smell them, get a sense of the, you know, the flavor from doing that. And they sent us a couple samples of different things that they had worked on. So a little, a little bit of beer tasting along with the real time experience of the hops that, you know, went in to combine to make their recipes. And, uh, you know, we were working towards uh, kind of coming up with a new unique recipe. I believe it's under their, I think it's called a mountain jam series where they, they've done this with a couple of different bands, but it will be the railroad earth roadhouse. I'm not sure what the, you know, style of beer it will be, but we'll be coming out. That's exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And they're a great company. It was really fun. You know, I, I've never known that much. I have friends who are deep into brewing and, and, you know, really nerd out on it. I've never paid much attention because I like Guinness stout, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, to, you know, to sit and experience the different, you know, varieties of hops and how they influence the, the final recipe, you know, of a beer, uh, was pretty cool. Yeah. That's great. 
Well, man, uh, I'm so excited for people to hear this new album. Again, it comes out on April 22nd, which is uh, this Friday. If you're hearing this, this will be coming out the same week the album comes out. It really is phenomenal. Um, it's a it's a beautiful album from start to finish. Uh, congratulations again on that. It's uh, And I'm excited again because for all you mandolin players out there who always want to tell people about something amazing to listen to, but nobody listens because it's only mandolin-based, this is the album. <laughs> tell your <laughs> friends. This is great stuff, man. And uh, and where can everybody find you online, John? Uh, I don't have my own website. It's all just through you know www.railroad.earth. Um, we switched from a dot com at some point once we found out we could use Earth as an extension. <laughs> nice. Um, the the you know Bach violin sonata uh, harpsichord videos that we talked about earlier are on my Instagram. But I after that initial wave of enthusiasm in the beginning of the pandemic, I've kind of shied away from social media. So it's there. I just don't play with it much anymore yeah it's, it's so, a necessary evil in my yeah. world unfortunately i wish i could no, it's, <laughs> it's a wonderful thing uh, i just get too easily distracted and if i know if i start looking at things i will an hour later i'll you know i will have gone down a rabbit hole of harpsichord and mandolin <laughs> and somewhere else yeah, I, 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 I know the feeling yeah <laughs> well excellent well john thank you so much for doing this buddy i really appreciate it and i'm looking forward to seeing you at delfest yeah, man, I can't wait to get to hang out with you a bit. I hope our, our schedule there, I think we're there a couple of days, so Perfect. hopefully we'll have time to hang out and pick and, and sample a beer or two together. Heck yeah, man. All right, thanks so much for listening. That album is available today, and again, it really is phenomenal, so go out and check it out. Thank you to listeners. Thank you to sponsors. You have yourselves a fantastic weekend. Cheers, everybody. <laughs>